I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Welcome back to Musical Minutes with John and John. As always, I'm your host, John Noreen, and this week we are going to finish off our dynamic duo series for this season by taking a closer look at the Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Aarons show, Once on This Island. With music by Stephen Flaherty, the lyrics and book were written by Lynn Aarons. Once on This Island was based on the book My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl by Rosa Guy. Once on this island opened at the Booth Theater on October 18, 1990, and played 469 performances before closing on December 1, 1991. The show was directed and choreographed by Graciela Danielle, and the music direction was by Steve Marzullo. The original Broadway cast included La Chance as Timoon, Jerry Dixon as Daniel Boholm, Eric Riley as Papa Gay, Milton Craig Neely as Agwe, Nikki Renee as Andrea Devereaux, and Jerry McIntyre as Armand Buholm. Once on this island was nominated for eight Tony Awards, but won none. The show opens on a story night in the Antilles archipelago, which frightens a young child. To comfort her, the village storytellers tell her the story of Timun, a peasant girl who falls in love with a grand home, Danielle Boholm. The story begins on an island known as the Jewel of the Antilles, which is ruled by four gods, Asaka, the mother of the earth, Agwe, the god of water, Irzuli, goddess of love, and Papage, demon of death. The island is divided into two distinct groups, the darker-skinned peasants who live on one side of the island, and the Grand Alms, lighter-skinned descendants of the original French planters and their slaves, who live on the other side of the island. One night, Agwe unleashes a terrible storm upon the island, which in turn causes a disastrous flood, wiping out many villages. However, the gods save the life of a little orphan named Timun by placing her in a tree above the flood's waves. She is found and subsequently adopted by the peasants Mama Urali and Tonton Julian. Years pass. Timun prays to the gods to let her know her purpose, and to let her be like the fast-driving strangers on the roads near her village, the Grand Alms. Bemused at her bold request, they mock her and at first decide to leave her prayers unanswered. However, Erzuli suggests that they give her love, because it is stronger than any of the other elements. Offended, Papage proposes a bet to prove which is stronger, love or death. Agwe arranges for the car of Daniel Bohom, a young Grandholm, to crash during a storm so that Timun may meet Daniel and restore him to health. The bet is taken, and Daniel's car crashes during a particularly bad storm. Timun comes upon the crash and saves Daniel by carrying him back to her village. Everyone else is, to say, a little outraged. But undeterred, Timun starts caring for the unconscious Daniel, and starts to fall in love with him. 
Though he remains unconscious, she begins to imagine he loves her too. Despite her best efforts, Daniel continues to fade, and soon Papa Ge arrives to take Daniel to the afterlife. Horrified, Timun offers her life in exchange so that Daniel might live. Angrily, Papa Ge agrees, but he warns her that he'll be back sooner or later, since her life now belongs to him. Tonton Julian travels to the other side of the island to seek Daniel's family at the Hotel Bohom. When he returns, he brings with him some of Daniel's people to take the boy back. As Daniel's family arrives, Tonton Julian tells of their past. Generations ago, during the Napoleonic era, a French aristocrat named Armand colonized the island. Although Armand had a wife, he had affairs with several natives, one of which bore him a son named Bohom. When Bohom grew up, war broke out between the peasant locals and the French. The peasants won the war with Bohom's help, after which he banished Armand back to France. Before leaving, however, Armand cursed Bohom and his descendants, saying, Their black blood will keep them forever on the island, while their hearts yearn forever for France. The curse manifests itself as hatred from the lighter-skinned Bohoms toward the darker-skinned natives, whom they blame for their exile from France because of their racial heritage. Timun is tearfully separated from Daniel and tells her parents that she will go after Daniel to marry him, and though they are reluctant to let her go, they eventually give her their blessing. The goddess Asaka tells Timun not to fear, as the earth will give her everything she needs on her journey to Daniel. Timun then undertakes a difficult journey to the city including being forced to wear two tight shoes, sneaking through the hotel gates, and eventually finding Daniel's room. Daniel, still ill and unable to walk, does not remember her, but believes her after she describes the scar on his chest. As they stay together, the goddess Irzuli gives them the gift of love. Daniel ignores the townspeople's gossiping over the unlikely relationship between a rich Bohom and a poor peasant. Daniel delights in Timun's differences from the rich girls in his life, though he ominously notes that some girls you marry and some girls you love. At a ball held at the hotel, Andrea Devereaux, a daughter of Daniel's family friends, pressures Timun to dance for them, but her intentions are impure, as she wants to make Timun look bad in front of the Grand Alms. Timun does dance and gains the admiration of the rich society members, inspiring both the peasant servants and the Grand Holmes to join with her. At the end of the party, Timun learns that Daniel is already engaged to be married to Andrea. Daniel, reminded of his responsibilities, must go through with the arranged marriage. Daniel, reminded of his responsibilities, must go through with the arranged marriage although he insensitively tells Timun they can be lovers forever, but this makes her fall further into despair. Papa Gay reappears and reminds Timun of her bargain, that she gave up her life so that Daniel would live, but says that Timun can revoke the bargain if she kills Daniel. Timun 
sneaks into Daniel's room with a knife, but she loves him too much to kill him. Unfortunately, Daniel finds Timun standing over him with a knife, and the Bolholms throw her out of the hotel grounds, convinced Timun was about to murder Daniel. Over the next few weeks, Timun refuses to leave the now shuttered town gate. As Daniel and Andrea are married, they follow an old tradition of throwing coins to the peasants outside the hotel gates. Timun calls to Daniel, who gently places a silver coin in Timun's hand, kisses her cheek, and then leaves. The gods are touched by Timun's selflessness and love, and chose to bestow a final kindness on her. Erzuli took her by the hand and leads her to the ocean, where Agwe allowed her to drown peacefully. Papage received her gently and brought her back to shore, where Asaka transformed her into a tree. The tree becomes a celebration of life and love that cracks open the gates of the hotel, allowing those of all social statuses to become one. Eventually, a peasant girl and a young grand homme, who we find out is Daniel's son, become close friends and play in her branches. As the years go by, the story of Timun is told again and again, passed down through the generations as proof of the power of love and the stories to bring people together. One of the things we really talked about last week when we were discussing kind of the legacy of Aaron's and Flaherty is their unending ability to find the humanistic, to find the struggle at the individual level in their stories and to make it the focal point. So with Once on this Island, it really comes down to the humanity of finding one's place in relation to life love, the gods, society, but ultimately still staying true to oneself. And that becomes Timun's ultimate journey. It's not about finding the love of Daniel or gaining his acceptance or gaining his hand in marriage, but Timun's ability to find within herself, herself, for lack of a better term, is that goal that while she didn't know she was going towards, ultimately achieves. She doesn't get her happily ever after, per se, but ends up being the catalyst that redefines society. So at the end of the show, when she's taken by the gods and reborn as a tree, that tree actually destroys the gate to the town. It destroys the gate to the hotel so that there can no longer be this physical division between the peasants and the landed gentry of the island. And without that physical barrier, that in itself becomes a catalyst to break down this idea of two classes, of two different groups, ultimately through time, you know, kind of healing wounds, to put it really inelegantly, we have this concept of where the two societies ultimately merge and become one. Hence the ending with Daniel's son and the peasant girl playing together. And we, you know, we're almost expected to believe that maybe that becomes the happily ever after. That it may not have happened for Timun, but it will happen for the next who follow after her. Ultimately, Timun is given love by the gods, but shows her own determination and resilience 
is how she uses that love. She saves Daniel at first, and even though she slightly stumbles at the end, she saves him a second time and then pretty much accepts and gives in to her fate. Even then, she's using that God's gift of love against them. By her devotion to the gift, by her devotion to love, she wins them over, and that's where their honor towards her comes in with her fate, and ultimately her story becomes immortal. It ultimately becomes her legacy to be everlasting in that sense. One of the things that strikes me about this show in a more of a generic sense is the music is actually really a departure from many Aaron's and Flaherty scores. It, it really disregards the grand lusciousness of something like Ragtime or just kind of the over-the-top zany soundscape of Seussical. It's an incredibly small band. There's only six pieces total, which is a very much an outlier for any Aaron's and Flaherty show. But there's also an authenticness in it, in the way they use the percussion, in the way that they're putting forth this music that kind of really befits the material. It's not there kind of as a lampshade or as kind of that rack that you hang your hat on. But in its sense, it reinforces the story, but it also becomes its own character within the context of the story, within the established boundaries of this universe, which is not always something that happens especially in kind of the current Broadway ethos you have sometimes this disconnect between the music and the plot of the show and it's fine especially when it's a comedy or a farce or something a little bit more light-hearted but with a show like this which is almost you know the fable or a parable-esque you really need that music to meld in with your story and reinforce it and that's probably one of the greatest strengths of this show and ultimately it's only reinforced by Lynn's Aaron's work which is probably some of the best lyric material that I feel she's written. A lot of the lyrics come off as poetic on themselves, but mesh so cohesively with Flaherty's score that that's where the character comes in. It's not just a fantastic tune with some decent lyrics or amazing sublime lyrics that are singable. It really ultimately is the fusion of the two of their strengths into one that gives this music its vitality and pushes it into the exceptional. One of the things I also find interesting about this show is that the original production actually wasn't considered a huge success. There was a revival in 2017, however, that pushed the show back into the limelight and reminded so many of the beauty of this show and the score. The revival was actually presented in the round, and with a much more simple staging than the, the original production. However, what this did was it allowed the material and the messes to shine through even more strongly. Which kind of brings us back to the Charles Isherwood quote about how Aaron's and Flaherty insisted on writing musicals that explore the struggles of men and women as opposed to the synthetic creatures razzle-dazzling Broadway audiences with their preening vulgarity and their self-devouring jokes. You don't have that in this show. It is a very 
simplistic. It is a very straightforward show. There isn't a lot of stage magic and razzle-dazzle. It almost borders on this concept of the Day in the Life musical, where you have the... You don't really have a defined good person or a bad guy. It just is society and and how how it functions and how it works and how someone within that society works. Whereas here we do have a little bit more of a through plot with the gods interacting with the characters and pushing them and stopping them. I mean, there is this concept of good versus evil, but the evil isn't necessarily a specific idea as much as it is the system. You know, the they call it in Game of Thrones, breaking the wheel. That's ultimately what Timun does, is she breaks the wheel. So if you're interested in Once on this Island, there are a couple of really good recordings out there that are definitely worth checking out. You have the original Broadway cast, which, you know, started it all, and there are very few original casts out there that I think I would not recommend, because usually they, in my mind, become the definitive source of the matter. The 2017 revival recording is also very touching and very poignant and definitely worth checking out as it represents the show gracefully. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.